Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred six point five FM Los Angeles, one hundred two point three FM Riverside, and one hundred five oh AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I am Al Warren. Um, now, joining me as the co-host today, we've got Mr. Uh, Mel B or Michael Brown. Oh yes, exactly. Hey. One of the, the Spice Girls. You're going to be. You're going to yeah. be new book coming out and everything. Ooh. Oh gosh, yeah, November second, Murder mm-hmm. Madness and Mayhem. Yeah, Harper yeah. Collins. So that's great. Yeah, you'll be on tour. Or I'm sure you'll be on tour with like Lady Gaga or something. Well, I am going to Nova Scotia for Christmas, but that's <laughs> that's because that's where my family lives, and I'll probably do a book signing in the mall. In the, in the town of 8,000 people that I'm from. So. Well, that's great. Maybe you'll sell 8,000 books there. Well, hopefully. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'll sell a, a couple because Mom is, is <laughs> shilling at the local newspaper. Yeah, she, she's camped out there every day. <laughs> Have you heard my son's written a book? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. It's good that uh, it's good to have support. You know, you need it. it really is stressful yeah. times. It's a long haul, and it's always a, a lot of work getting it out there, and all the edits and rewrites and all that stuff. So it's it's great. That's fantastic. So I'm sure it'll do well. Um, you did your own. You did your own Audible too, right? I did. I did the uh, the audio book for it because uh, I I nobody I'm, else would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't read this. This is terrible. Yeah. Oh, that always scares me. I don't think I could do an audible. That would be too much. It was it was interesting. I think you could pull it off. The way they do it uh, is is pretty straightforward. So if you make a mistake or you stumble, they just have you do it again right away. So 
Oh, is there like an auto tune for? <laughs> I wish there was. <laughs> well, that'll be next. That'll be yeah. next. What's, I what's spent, that? I think it was 20 hours in a studio doing it for. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Wow. For wow. a 12 hour book, which yeah. isn't too bad. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, you know, you have to kind of redo things and take breaks. Yeah, I had to go back for some pickups, but, you know, it was fun. You wouldn't have hiccuped if you you weren't drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Bad. Anyway, um, so now today we have got, speaking of crime and right down your alley, we've got a true crime author here, and I believe it's his first book. So uh, the book is called The Flat Tire Murders. And it's the unsolved crimes of a South Florida serial killer. Now, the author is Michael P. Burns. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much, Al. It's a real pleasure to be here. We'll see if you say that at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now I, I wonder. So, you, um, this is your first book, right? That's correct. First book, um, and I wrote it uh, last year, and it, it's coming out now at the end of 2021. First book. Yeah. What what made you decide to go into book writing? Because it's not like you're a um, a 20-year-old kid. Um, what was the draw to writing a book? Well, at, you know, after looking into these cases and being a, you know, a follower of, of unsolved cases and, and true crime for a long time, uh, I thought it was something that was important to, uh, to put out into the public. Um, and these cases, you know, unfortunately, there's there's just not a lot out there on them. So I felt that um, they were worthy of, uh, of having their own uh, book written about them. So that, that kind of propelled me to do that. And 2020 with the whole COVID thing, you know, uh, kind of locked down, gave me that, that opportunity. How many murders are there in, in the flat tire murders? Well, if you look just at the, um, just at the actual flat tire and canal murders, there are at least 13 victims in 1975. Oh, wow. Right. And there are a number of murders that preceded um, preceded the the flat tire murders um, that we can talk about as well. But in those cases, there there were ten to eleven victims in one set of uh, murders, and six victims at least in another. How did you find this murder case? Like, how did you, how did you come across it? You know, I think I was interested in um, uh, South Florida, obviously, because I I grew up there in Miami. And I was uh, kind of wondering what what was it like in the 70s and, uh, you know, uh, what was the uh, sort of culture like down there? And I came across, I think it might have been on a Wikipedia page or something about about these murders. And there really wasn't much more than that. Um, so I thought, you know, it's it's something that's worthy enough of a little blurb on on Wikipedia. I thought, well, what's what's really behind it? And when I started you know, my research, um, it really led to a, a, a discovery of, of something that was really important at the time and then just sort of faded away. And, and really no one remembers it to these days, you know, except the families and, and some law enforcement. What was it like um, investigating a case from the 70s? Like, was it, did you find it hard to uh, find information or find witnesses or police or anything that, that were around at that time? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people um, were talking 45 years ago, so um, I was able to find a couple of, uh, of detectives that were kind enough to, to speak with me about their experiences. Um, 
and really just because uh, I'm not in South Florida anymore, it kind of limited my ability to, to go speak with people. But, um, you know, it was it was difficult trying to find out, you know, because a lot of the parents are deceased from these victims. Um, and, yeah, it was a challenge to try to figure out who's who um, are siblings still around. Does anyone want to talk about this? But, you know, I was able to get it, get some leads um, that I thought were were quite helpful. So so maybe describe. Um, what the flat tire murders were, like um, maybe the basic MO and kind of how it went. Sure. There, there's, they're referred to as the, the canal murders mostly when you, when you delve into the past um, in the mid 1970s, but, but they've kind of taken on the moniker of the flat tire murders because of two of the victims who were uh, within nine days of each other were abducted from a mall in, uh, in Northern Dade County and their their cars were found with flat tires, and they their bodies were found basically in the in the same spot. So, uh, those two two murders um, of Ronnie Gorlin and Elise Rapp kind of gave the the name the flat tire murders. Um, but it connected in with the other murders due to the fact that many victims were being found in canals, a lot of them very close to each other. Um, but the basic MO was um, from what, what the law enforcement believed was that this was a very approachable, nice-looking, well-spoken person that was able to convince these women to come with him, probably not using force, um, but probably through deception and, uh, and uh, that sort of false trust, especially with the, the flat tire uh, victims where he likely deflated their tires um, and offered them help to get them, get them away from the scene. Why did you go uh, change the name to the Flat Tire Murders from Canal Murders? Like, what was the um, thought behind that? Well, um, you know, the the name was the Canal Murders uh, in the 1970s, and that's what the, the media back then referred to them as. Um, I thought that the the basically after I spoke with some of the detectives, um, that the uh, the name the Flat Tire Murders kind of I think captures more of the perpetrators uh like you said mo how they operated um and their their approaches to these women to uh to get them to go with them so um you know they can be either the flat tire murders or the canal murders but i think flat tire um sort of uh, like i said captures how this person went about getting these women to come with them so did these these murders continue or did they just stop you know they they really took place in 1975 and and after that uh they stopped um you know the, obviously there were more more murders in south florida after 1975 but really the the string of of murders repeating every month or so um pretty much stopped at the end of 1975 um and and really just went away from the public consciousness but for that year it was it was definitely something that law enforcement was telling women about um, and really concerned about it. And they just stopped. And so, so what I, I wonder, do you think that the, the culprit, I guess we'd call him, um, moved to a different state or it, it, did it, did this pick up somewhere else? Do you think? I, I would think that probably there was either, you know, the, the person was either in jail for something else. They moved. I think there are a number of, of different possibilities, but uh, based on what, in my my research in true crime is that these people can't really stop. They can't really stop their compulsions with, with a few exceptions. And, you know, it's not a, a 100 percent uh, accurate statement. But I, I 
I really think that the person probably moved out of the area. And when I went back to South Florida a couple of weeks ago, um, looked at some of the locations, there was a, um, a connection that I, I seemed to make between uh, the city of Medley, which is a, a industrial city out in the far western uh, part of Dade County, and it's really a trucking and, and industrial city. And I, I think that there's definitely a possibility that this person could have uh, been a trucker. They could have moved on to a different location. Um, that's just a thought. There's really there's really no conclusive evidence one way or the other what happened to this person. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's always interesting, but it's kind of like a lot of the cases. Um, back in the 60s and 70s, you know, you hear about the uh, Zodiac Killer every year and, uh, and uh, you know, remember the Golden State Killer and things like that. So quite a few of them um, just stopped, it stopped happening, and um, a lot of them don't get solved. So it's kind of one of those, it's a big question mark. Absolutely, yeah, and, you know, if these cases ever do get solved, it, it'll be fascinating to figure out why, why 1975 was so such a such a, a terrible year, and, and where this person uh, went after uh, after that year? Yeah, I think 1975, the captain and Neil had all the hits, so maybe that was it <laughs> in the television show. I don't know, maybe something threw them through him. He went crazy, you know. I, what, what were the victims? Now the victims themselves. Um, was there any connection with those victims? Like, were they friends? Did they know each other? Or was it the same type of uh, woman being um, assaulted? Uh, was there any sort of regular thing that was going on there? Sure. They, they were all, all white women. And um, they were, I've seen photos. They're very, you know, very attractive women. I, I don't know if they share any uh, real uh, connections other than those two basic characteristics they were all however very young and what really shocked me is that three of the victims in the in the flat tire murders slash canal murders were, were 14 years old um so these were one was uh, 15 uh, two were 17 they were very very young teenage girls um they were not prostitutes they were not drug addicts they were uh, sort of just general middle class uh, girls out in Dade and Broward County um in terms of connections, two of the murders are definitely connected because they were both um, killed together. That was Barbara Schreiber and Belinda Zetterauer. They were both 14 years old, and they were shot to death uh, next to a canal in um, in Broward County. So um, th those are definitely connected, and police strongly believe that the, the two flat tire murders, just due to the location of the victims and the, the M.O. of the perpetrator, were were both connected as well. Um, the two flat tire murders, interesting, both both women were Jewish. They both had uh, license plates that had the letter E on them, and they sort of began with an E and gave the rest of the digits, but those were uh, denoted to, um, to clarify what cars were leased or rental cars. Um, so there are some, definitely some connections. Some of the murders are absolutely related. Um, but the frequency at which they occurred and the location of the bodies in the canals led law enforcement to believe that this is this is somebody out there doing this. So the MO wasn't always the same. Um... Right. Right. It wasn't always the same. Many of these girls just disappeared, um, you know, walking home at night. Um, the two that were shot, uh, Barbara Schreiber and Belinda Zetterauer, 
kind of tricked their parents and said, oh, we're, we're going to spend the night at each other's houses. And they went off to kind of walk around and, and they were uh, abducted and, and found the next day next to a canal. So, yeah, there's there's definitely uh, some connections uh, And law enforcement was kind of split at the time, whether these are absolutely all related, whether some are related. The medical examiner at the time said at, le- at least five of them are definitely related to the same perpetrator. Well, what is it that ties them together then if, if it's different MOs and different things that kill them? Like you say, some of them shot. And yeah, so if there's different ways, modes of death, um, what is the tie um, for these victims? The tie is really the, the frequency at which they occurred throughout uh, basically almost every month in 1975. Several of them were found uh, in the same canal. Um, which is the canal next to U.S. 27. So it seemed that there was definitely a, a, an area that this that this person liked to leave the victims in, um, the ages, um, and again the frequency of of these uh, abductions and murders. So what, so you were saying that the the police and, and that were talking about it. So this was something that made the media in Florida for sure uh, that, right. that that was being talked about. Um, how many how many um, actual suspects did they have, or did they have a kind of a drawing of someone that they thought, or did they have any sort of warnings for people in that way? Well, you know, they they definitely had warnings. Um, and they were telling women, uh, you know, before you get in a car, make sure that the tires are inflated, make sure there's nobody in the car. Um, and another uh, warning was, do not hitchhike, and that was a a, a thing in the '70s that was really different from from our view now of uh, you know sticking your thumb out and getting in a car with a stranger it was a, it was a lot more frequent back then so they were warning women not to hitchhike um there there was there were a few composites but uh based on what i found it, it seemed that they were really just getting random uh random information from different people i i saw this guy at the mall i saw this guy w- walking around but there were no composites of uh, who these women were with uh, at the last uh, at the moment of their abduction. So there really wasn't a lot to go on. Well, so and then, like you said, it just sort of stopped in Florida anyway, it just sort of just didn't happen anymore. And so it kind of faded away. Right. Um, so in, in, in your research and when you come down to it, did you ever think that um, this person or maybe it's more than one person that's doing the killing? Right. Or do you think? Right. Yes, and when when I was able to speak to two of the detectives, uh, three of them actually, but two of them um, gave me their impressions, you know, 45 years later, and they were pretty steadfast in their opinion that they they thought Ted Bundy was the uh, was the perpetrator, and that really uh, kind of threw me for a loop, and and I had to dig into that a lot more because obviously he was in uh, Utah in 1975. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, um... It was really interesting to have these these two seasoned detectives, of course, retired by now, still to this day say, you know, I'm absolutely certain it was him. It was Bundy. Well, what is what is. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, what is it that made them so certain it was Bundy? Well, they um, one of them went to talk to Bundy um, when he was on trial in Miami in 1979. Um, He went to the uh, to the jail and spoke with, with Ted Bundy. And he brought up the name of one of the flat tire victims. And uh, based on his response, he thought definitely he had a he had a connection to it. He said he would talk to the detective about it more after uh, after his trial was over. But he clammed up after that. They also thought that he he fit the um, uh, sort of the, the M.O. Of, of what this person would be like. Very good looking, um, smooth talker, able to convince women to, to come with him. And. Some of the some of the crimes that Bundy committed, especially the one in Utah that he got uh, that he got arrested for, eventually the kidnapping of Carol Durant, he sort of uh, he, he did use a, a very similar M.O. It wasn't flattening tires, but it was uh, presenting himself as a law enforcement officer and, and convincing Mr. Ranch that she needed to come with him, which she did. So, uh, you know, there's 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 that. Uh, you know, uh, characteristic that they strongly feel that he was. He was involved. They can't place him there, which is obviously a big, a big problem. So um, and I think that kind of shows that that law enforcement was just, you know, climbing up the walls, trying to figure out who this person could be. So was there any evidence that Bundy was in Florida at that time? Oh, what's funny about Ted Bundy is that, um, you know, obviously he was a he was a, 
a very uh, versatile person in terms of being able to get around. He was in Utah. He was in Idaho. He was in Colorado, probably other states as well that, that he never confessed to. But he was certainly not adverse to traveling um, out of, into different jurisdictions. Whether he was in South Florida in, in 1975 seems unlikely. And I kind of use that caveat because uh, there was a, a series of um, there was some time uh, back in the summer of 1975 when he really didn't commit any murders. Um, he most likely was in Utah, but again, knowing who he was and how he could travel, um, really can't 100% place him there. Mm. So I think I'd say it remains a, a possibility, uh, somewhat unlikely, but um, you know, still something to, to keep in mind. And just the fact that he spoke to the detectives and and alluded to maybe I'm involved uh, doesn't necessarily mean he was right, right. And and he he did like to play play games with with law enforcement and um, sort of allude to things that that he probably didn't have anything to do with. But again, it's it's just something to keep in mind. It wasn't actually Ted Bundy's. Um, you know, he had been to Miami in 1968 as a, uh, a delegate to the Nelson Rockefeller uh, uh, election when the Republican convention was held there. So he, he had been to Miami in, in the 1960s when he was about 22 years old. So uh, obviously also he was tried there uh, in 1979. So he has some connections, uh, whether we can place him there, you know, in 1975 is, is a bit more challenging. Wow. Um so, so do you, was what was left behind? Like, what kind of evidence do they have now? I mean, this was the '70s, so um, not all the police forces were very uh, collecting the same that they do now for for evidence and keeping it. Uh, was there a lot of evidence kept from those cases? You know, there there's there wasn't. Um, some of the medical examiners' reports, the the two from the flat tire murders seem to elude, and again, they're using 1975 sort of terminology and, and forensic science, but there may be DNA evidence or, or some sort of um, biological evidence uh, at the time. Whether that, you know, has been preserved to this day, we, we just don't know. Um, but there, based on my reading of it, there, there was some evidence collected. There was a pubic hair collected from one of the victims, um, and there were bite marks as well. Um, so there, there is some evidence, whether it's, you know, sufficient 45 years later to, to nail this guy is, remains to be seen. Hmm. So what's your thought on it ever being solved? You know, I'm hopeful. Um, I, I think uh, one of the big, big instances in uh, true crime that, that made a big impact on me was in uh, 19 or excuse me, 2018, when Joseph D'Angelo was was arrested and charged as being the Golden State Killer, and he later confessed. Um, you know, my, my jaw hit the floor when, when it was announced that day, and I just thought, how, how could they s possibly solve a case from, you know, 40-plus years ago? And, and they did. Um, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think, I think they are still working on these cases. And um, I, I do talk about in the book some of the instances of crimes from the 1970s that, that Dade, County, Dade County has um, – has solved recently so there's there's definitely a chance well so what was the area like in the in those times like in 1975 was that kind of a, a dangerous area to be in or 
Well, you know, it came as a surprise to me that in the 1970s, South Florida was was one of the uh, most dangerous places in the country. Um, in 1975, uh, Dade County had the fourth highest crimes per capita. Broward County had the sixth highest in the in the United States. And in 1975, Florida had the third highest crime rate in the U.S. So um, one of the one of the uh, sheriffs in 1974 or three, I think it was, said the it's like an invading army has has arrived and has taken over. So it was it was definitely a crime crime ridden area in, in the mid 1970s. Mm. But uh, but pe- people weren't scared back in those times. Like people would, like you say, just get in a car and hitchhike and do things like that. There wasn't a lot of terror going on. Right, right. And and that that's another thing that that really struck me was the was the hitchhiking angle, just because it's it was so prevalent back then that that young girls, you know, teenage girls would would find that this is a good way to get around. Um, you know, nothing really is likely to happen to me. If it does, I can, I can handle it myself. There wasn't the terror, I think, that, that came out in the in 1980s, 1990s about, uh, you know, what kind of evil people were, were lurking out there. There was definitely a, a more innocent uh, attitude towards, uh, towards life in general, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they didn't wear seatbelts either, right? So right. I could just jump out of the car. <laughs> someone attacks me what's um at, at the end of the day um what is it you want people to get out of your book i want them to know that these that these cases occurred just um you know i think in the golden state killer case the fact that it was in the public consciousness um either online through books through documentaries um people became interested in the case and really I think public pressure on uh, law enforcement to to really throw the resources at this case and to keep looking at it and keep digging, um, and they eventually were successful. Um, you know, I think the same thing could happen here, provided that there's enough public uh, consciousness ab- about these victims and that they're, they're not forgotten. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important. Um, you know, and times were so different. You know, uh, it's, it's t- did you find it difficult writing about something from the 70s um, and and not and I guess you'd have to sort of explain uh, a lot of people don't realize how different it was. Absolutely. And, and in terms of, um, you know, what law enforcement had to had to work with a lot of it, um, you know, think think of the Ted Bundy case, uh, which occurred in the 1970s. He was eventually arrested in 75. He was convicted on bite mark evidence, basically, in 1978. There was no DNA. Um, there was very little else in terms of forensic evidence that, that could really nail somebody like they do now, um, but based on his bite marks. So sort of a, a primitive uh, uh, you know, method of, of, of solving a case. So they, they didn't have what law enforcement has to work with now, databases, um, and just sort of the, the abundance of information that's out there. Um, so they, they basically had blood typing. Uh, they could compare hairs. You know, does this one look like that one? Uh, exclude people, maybe polygraphs, but um, it was sort of uh, on your feet, get out there and talk to people, uh, forms of investigation. Um, so they were, they were limited, definitely, in what they could do. Now, now did he sexually assault these, these girls and women that he uh, killed? 
the flat tire victims were sexually assaulted. Um, it, Ronnie Gorlin, one of the victims in the flat tire murders, was um, she had bite marks uh, on her on her breasts, and there was uh, biological evidence found on the Elise on Elise Rapp, who was the second flat tire victim. Her uh, her genitals were stabbed as well. So there's definitely a sexual component, at least to those two. So he was a violent killer. Like he he maybe made them suffer some or. Yes, and that comes through in the, the medical examiner's reports as well that there may have been what they they described as gentle choking, which I you know thought what the what the heck is that <laughs> sort of uh, choking that that uh, re- lets someone uh, you know become revived and then uh, it choked again. So there was definitely a domination and a, and a sexual component to those two two crimes at least. Gee, that's like the Rodney Alcala in the California doing right, that, you know? right. Maybe there's something in the water or something. Um, so, so how was this? How You said you were writing this during COVID. How was that for you to write during COVID? Oh, it was great. Oh. <laughs> you know, there was uh, there was little little else to do. And, you know, there was a there's, um, you know, the Internet. And once you have that and you can get in touch with people and, and start looking, um, it was it was actually a, a very uh, cathartic, cathartic experience to, to do that while you know, the rest of the world is kind of uh, at a standstill. So it was a, it was a great opportunity to, to do something that, that I thought was important. So it, outside stresses and things like that going on didn't really um, affect your ability to write then either. No. And, you know, it, it gave me an outlet. It gave me something to, to do during those times. And, and um, you know, it was really just a, a great way to spend some afternoons and, and evenings um, you know, after I was done with work to, to dig into this. Um, so I, I found it, you know, to be pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it certainly would be, you know. How were the police that you talked to um, from cases back then, were they sort of surprised that someone was looking into these, these old cases? You know, they, they were very, um, very guarded, very professional, um, I, I don't think it took them by surprise that, that these old cases were being, you know, looked into by someone. Um, but they were they were certainly responsive. I, I really thought that reaching out to these guys would would maybe not result in anything. But immediately they responded and, and told me everything that they that they remembered. So uh, I don't think they were surprised so much as as they were, um, again, very professional and hoping that, you know, these cases could be solved. I think they probably took it pretty hard. Um, when when investigating these cases and they really came up with nothing despite and one of the detectives said we spent hundreds of hours we did surveillance we talked to every sex offender we you know we really pounded the pavement to work these cases and and they they came up with nothing yeah 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 and they only had so much to work with so well so at the end of the day are you happy with how it turned out i am i'm i'm happy that it's out there and that that people can uh, can read it. They can get in contact with me. I've got social media up related to the to the cases, and I'm happy to to interact with people that that are interested. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad it's it's out there. Uh, you know, this may not be the the end of the story. We'll 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 sort of have to see. But I, I wanted to get this out there also because you know it's it's a, a case from 75 excuse me 45 years ago. So people are are getting older. A lot of the parents of the victims are deceased. Um, the detectives that I spoke to are in their eighties. So sort of time is, time is ticking here to, to resolve these cases.
Yeah, of course. Do you have a website as well? I have Twitter. Um, people can find me on Twitter uh, at Flat Murders. Um, I also have Reddit, um, Instagram, and a Facebook account, uh, Flat Tire Book. That's Please. probably the best way. All the touch. dangerous places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be careful there, you know. Right. What's next for you? I, I'd like to keep looking into these cases and, and just sort of keep keep pushing as much as I can to to find new information, to keep uh, keep in contact with people uh, out there. I, I don't know what what particularly will will happen but um these cases still still fascinate me and my goodness seeing them solve would be fantastic um uh but yeah definitely i think keeping on on these cases is is my immediate goal yeah yeah well it's pretty interesting it's a great case and hopefully it uh gets resolved then you can do a book too (laughs) that'd be great (laughs) (laughs) well Okay, now the book we're talking about is The Flat Tire Murders, it's The Unsolved Crimes of the South Florida Serial Killer. And our guest has been the author, Michael P. Burns. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Get the latest news and opinions from Eric Shapiro from the House of Mystery website in the Shapiro Report. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! How dare you? If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com.
show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.